And so that doesn't motivate you to invite someone. If you had no idea how to, good ideas. Also, I did not approve of that. I, I did not sign off on that video. Had no clue it was there. Um, but for those of you who don't know me, my name's Cole. I'm the student ministry pastor here, and this is my very first time ever preaching on a Sunday morning. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and, and to, to add, uh, I wasn't supposed to preach this morning. Um, so grace is the key word for today. Um, but, but no, in reality, I, I thought I'd start by helping you just to get to know me a little bit better. I want you to know uh, a small piece of my testimony and then a small story from my childhood so you can understand why my brain works the way that it does. Uh, but, and, and that's all before we enter into the sermon, but it, it ties in, I promise, I promise. And uh, what I want you to know, one of the important things um, is that I, I didn't grow up in a super Christian household. I, I have a few very vague memories of church growing up and the household that I grew up in was um, dysfunctional. I'm not sure if any of you can relate, um, but it, it was pretty dysfunctional. And from that, I had a lot of walls that had started to build up as an angsty preteen. Okay? And I was like, man, I don't know my place. I don't know who I can trust. I don't know who I am. I don't know what's worth pursuing or I have no motivation to do anything really except for eat mac and cheese um, and so you know there I am middle school the lowest point in all of our lives <laughs> and I get invited to a, a youth group at, at a small Nazarene church in Ohio and and I'm not gonna lie my attendance was stellar but it was for a few reasons free food fun games and cute girls, one of which is now my wife. But uh, in, in those years, what, what was more important than that is that I, I was treated with, with love and with patience, and, and that church became a family to me. And I, I didn't have a good frame of reference for what family meant. I didn't have a good frame of reference for what love was, how to have a healthy relationship with other people how to communicate with people. And that church slowly taught me over the years of me being there for the food, the games, and the girls. And I was not, I was an annoying kid. Um, and I'm still annoying if you ask Chloe. Uh, but that, all, all those walls that I had built up, all of them were slowly torn down by those people. It was slowly torn down by that church family. My, my walls, my, my hesitancies to loving other people, to accepting like, the gift that life is. It was, it was no match for the gospel. It was no match for the gospel that was lived out in those people. The people that I'm so grateful for. And that's why I'm passionate about youth ministry. That's why I'm passionate about the students. Middle school is rough, high school is rough, life is rough. And when you have a good group of people who show you patience and grace and love, it makes a world of difference. My life was radically changed by Christ and it was their love that opened me up to it. 
and it was Christ's light that lit up all of the dark, chaotic parts of my life. And a lot of those words that I just said in that last sentence are going to be key words for the, for the sermon. Uh, but on a lighter note, here, here's one of the fun things. I don't know if you're planning on getting me a Christmas gift or not, um, but that's what all these trees are here for. <laughs> I love stickers. Stickers are my absolute favorite thing. My, my wife's little cousins know this, and they know it too well. And so they have a fun game whenever I go over to their house, and it's see how many stickers you can place on Cole before he leaves. And they have books of stickers. I thought it was cute at first, but when you're staying there for a couple hours, it gets old. And then you can't breathe. Um, and, and then, but I, I still love them. It's, it's fun. It's a little tradition we have. Uh, if you hang out around the church at all, if you don't, you should. Um, I have this longboard. I ride over to Taco Bell on my lunch breaks. On the bottom, all stickers. And uh, when I first got here, uh, the new youth building, they were asking me, like, hey, what are your thoughts? What are your opinions? Do you like it? Is it cool? What would you change? Though this is awesome. You know what it needs? Stickers. <laughs> and, and, and lastly, my motivation in school, I, I'm not sure if you had a teacher who put stickers on a test for you whenever they graded it. That was my only motivation to get good grades. It was those stickers. So if you were a teacher who put stickers on your tests, I did better in your class. And for some reason, college professors don't do that. So I like to attribute that to, to my rough time in college. But all, all joking aside, this love for stickers all came from uh, this time in my childhood. I had a terrible speech impediment. Um, it, it was really, really bad. Um, like, it took me from pre-K all the way up to middle school to get rid of. And every single session I had with a speech therapist, I got a sticker. And it was like, it's what I got to look forward to, and it was one of my biggest insecurities. I, I had to, it reframed the way that I thought about everything because I couldn't be embarrassed. I couldn't, like, in front of those cute girls, there's no way. I was going to mess up a word, right? And so I would think and rethink conversations before they would even happen. And anything with an R or an L in it, I couldn't say those words. So my vocabulary had to get really big, really fast, and it just it trained my brain to constantly make connections. It, I had to find um, synonyms and, and all sorts of different ways to creatively uh, bend around all of these words. And so like I was an overthinker, and maybe that was a good thing because I thought about what I said before I said it, sometimes. <laughs> and... Um, so anyways, I have this obsession with words, with connections, and, and that's part of the reason why I chose the song that I chose uh, today. And, you know, we've been moving through Christmas carols and talking about the meaning of them and, you know, the deep stories behind them and how they tie into scripture and reveal deep theological truths. And I love this song because it's everything that I relate to. It's unorthodox. It has a dysfunctional background, it's different, and it has this way of vividly connecting two things that usually stay compartmentalized. It connects these themes of Easter with a Christmas carol. And I love it because it brings me back into why Christ came 
it brings me back into why we celebrate Christmas. It becomes more than just I'm excited for gifts. It's I have received the best gift. I have received the gift that I will never forget. I have received the gift that I can never repay. So some background to this carol that we're talking about. It's written in the key of E minor. Any musicians? I'm not looking at Curtis or Charlene. It's dubbed the saddest of all keys. And rumor has it that King Henry VII wrote it for a long lost love. But that's just speculation. And then it, then it went out of style and Shakespeare used it a couple times and, and then it got rewritten into a bar tune to be sung in like New Year's time. And it would be sung when they wanted another round of drinks. And so I was like, oh, this is so interesting. How did it become this? How did it become something that displays sacrifice, that points to baby Jesus? How does it go from calling for a substance that causes darkness in people's lives to calling people to the light that has lit up the entire world? How did that happen? A stellar gentleman by the name of William Chatterton rewrote it to his poem, What Child Is This? Not to be confused with Mary, did you know? And I also, I really wanted to like title my sermon this. Brad said no, so, but I want to tell you because it's really funny. It's the way my brain works, I already told you. What child is this? To answer that, you first have to ask, who is your daddy? I'll stop joking. We're, we're getting into it. I promise. I promise. Um, I, I had, I'm a student ministry pastor. Um, I had never heard of it until Joey had mentioned it in the office, uh, partly because I was still scrambling to find a song uh, to preach on, and partly because I think he wanted to flex his like, exhaustive list of Christmas songs and Christmas knowledge. And I was like, I've never heard of that. That must be so rare. Um, and so I pulled up the lyrics, and the moment that I, I laid eyes on them, and I'm reading through them, I, I felt God say, yes, this is the one. This is the one you've been looking for. This is it. This is what we need to hear. This is what you need to hear. This is what I need to hear. After a long, long year, or over a year of, of COVID, of chaos, of conflict, this is the gospel. I bet you're wondering what the lyrics are. It's so good. I'm so excited to share it with you. This is the gospel that we need to hear. And it does this thing because it connects it to Easter as it pivots your perspective in Advent. That we need to adjust the way that I feel like at least myself, I'll speak for myself, that I compartmentalize Christmas in our Christian calendar sometimes. And I sterilize it. And I make it pretty, and I decorate all these things, and it's removed from the dirty manger, right? So, so let's, let's move into it. Verse 1, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? We see the disciples ask that very same question. You know, what child is this? They say, who, who is this person? 
And I, and I think a lot of our answers and the themes that I, I feel led to share with you, these biblical themes, are layered into this story of the disciples asking if you just are willing to peel them back, dive into the word, learn some, some original languages, um, they're there and it's solid truth and it expands and just completes your knowledge of this. It's, it's so good. And so the disciples asked in this story that I'm telling, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What authority and power he has. If there were hyperlinks in the Bible, I know there's footnotes, but I'm still a millennial. Um, if there was a hyperlink, it would be connected to the many psalms that talk about that only God can control the wind and the waves and the sea. They're answering that question. What authority does he have? He has the authority of God. He has that authority. He is special. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. And, and so that's, that is so significant for multiple reasons. And one is because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And the other, the next, is it starts to help us understand this dynamic between a holy God and a chaotic world. Something that I, a dynamic that we need to understand. A dynamic that will help us in this season. It'll help us show the love of Christ. It'll help us not to have bitter attitudes. I've had one the past couple weeks. I don't know what's up. But this is what helps us. This is what redirects us. This is how we can refocus in. And this theme that I'm going to be talking about, it, it is saturated in the Hebrew imagination. And to understand that, we need to start in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. One of my absolute favorite phrases I learned in my Hebrew class was tohu bohu. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you say that with me. I'll say it one more time, and then you can say it with me. Tohu, bohu. You ready? Tohu, bohu. You all get a sticker. <laughs> These words are for the words formless and empty. They carry with them this connotation of chaos, of confusion, of darkness void, empty space. And, and we see tohu bohu used only two other times in the Old Testament. When you hear that, it's important because when you read those passages, it can give you a context to what they were thinking, to what in their culture they understood that we might not as easily pick up as we talk about chaotic waters and Jesus calming Darkness and light, there are themes that are threaded in here, and it is so good. So, so let's read one of them together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Jeremiah 4, chapter 16. And I really want you to focus on how, how does God deal with darkness, with chaos? What is his 
response? What is his reaction? Jeremiah 4, starting at verse 16, and we'll jump ahead. Tell this to the nations, proclaim concerning Jerusalem, a besieging army is coming from a distant land, raising a war cry against the cities of Judah. They surround her like men guarding a field because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your own conduct, your own actions, your own choices has brought this upon you. This is your punishment. It is so bitter how it pierces the heart. I didn't want this for you. My people are fools. They don't know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty, and at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. This is what the Lord says, the whole land will be ruined, though I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark because I have spoken and will not relent. I have decided and will not turn back. We have a faithful God who does not want to see us remain in darkness, even when we choose darkness. You might not be feeling like this is a, a Christmassy type message, but it is so tied in, it is so intertwined into this carol, and that's why I love it, because it points us to the reason that we're celebrating, the reason why it's so joyful, the reason why I wanna like shout from the mountaintops, the reason why I want to share it with teens is because of the life change and the life transformation that can happen when you decide to stop turning against God, when you decide that you want to bask in the, his illuminating light, even though it might be uncomfortable, when it illuminates the dark places in your life. I don't know if you have any dark places, but God so desperately wants to illuminate them for you. And it requires your participation and your ears to hear and your eyes to see. And so we ask, what child is this? Why would I do that? What child is this that would have angels singing anthems that beckons shepherds who's referred to as the light of the world onto all nations? Who is this that commands the waves? What is this darkness that follows humanity in all of creation. This is right about in the place of my sermon prep where God really started pressing in on me. He was leading me the whole time, but it was in this, I'm like, these connections, it's all coming together. This is so profound. This is so, if you were to unravel the layers of tohu bohu, if you were to unravel the layers of, of chaos, and God bringing light into the world. Oh, oh, the revelation that will happen. And so I'm wondering, do you see some of those connections yet? Do you see the light in Genesis calming those chaotic waters? 
And then later you see Jesus calming some chaotic waters. Do you see this downright poetic narrative strung across thousands of years? Do you see what happens in darkness to God's people when they embrace tohu bohu more than light? And you hear from God, do you see who I sent? Do you recognize me? Do you know me? Will you follow me? Is it still dark where you're living, where you're operating out of? It's, it's in disobedience that we reintroduce tohu bohu back into creation. God has given us covenants and provisions, and he's invited us to participate. And we're not very good, right? We're not very good at it. It's when we abandon things like peace and love and justice. And I think that's why we love Christmas so much is because it reminds us of those things. It brings creation back to a full state, the state that we're still awaiting, that's reaching its fullness in him. And God's response surprisingly, was not to annihilate us, but to send a light so powerful and far-reaching that Tohu Bohu would have no power on us. And to actually send yet another light unto the world, another Adam, another covenant, another sacrifice. This time, the word was spoken, and the word became flesh. God with us. Light with us. Going back into the carol, this, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud. I don't know what that is. The babe, the son of Mary. I'm assuming it's like deep fried. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. We've been talking a a lot the past few messages about not forgetting to bring Jesus a gift. And so I wonder what, what gift he started to put on your heart to give. What he's calling you to be open handed with. What he's revealing might be still enthroned on your heart and you need to help vacate to make room for him so he can be enthroned on your heart. The holly and the ivy, when they're both full grown, this is really getting into Easter now. The holly and the ivy, when they are both full grown, of all the trees that are in the wood, the holly bears the crown. There is beautiful symbolism there holly wreaths we think are festive and fun but beneath them we should see a crown of thorns and so who is this a child who belonged to paradise but chose instead he he could have had all the gold incense and myrrh he wanted in heaven but instead he came and lived an increasingly lowly life so that we could enjoy his inheritance 
so we can enjoy the treasures of heaven, so we can enjoy life with him, creation restored. Luke 9:58 says he did not even have a place to lay his head. Philippians 2:8 and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I thought to myself as I was preparing and I'm praying, that's who's sleeping on Mary's lap. A powerless baby looking up at these rafters of a manger that resemble some timbers that, that he'll be upon one day. So that we didn't have to live in chaos. We didn't have to live in tohu bohu. We didn't have to live in darkness even if we did it to ourselves. That is love. That is Christmas. That is Advent. That's why we're celebrating. This is one of the last parts of the song. Nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. Really Easter at this point. When we sing nails and spears shall pierce him through, that's not something we normally talk about on Christmas, but to celebrate light, to celebrate what's happening here, you have to understand what is being illuminated, the darkness that's being pushed back, the chaos that's been overwhelming us. It is in contrast that you find the beauty, that you find the clarity that Jesus gives you. I I will never forget my first Easter as a Christian. I had just started to, to serve in the church, and my worship pastor had asked me, we had a cross about that size, maybe even bigger, and, and a gentleman in the church had made it, and it was made out of these old railroad timbers. And, and I'm like, they, they were splintery, they were rugged, the texture was rough, and I, I was tasked, and I, I just thought it was an easy job. So I thought going in to um, hammer in that sign at the top, said king of the Jews and so I go yeah sure no problem I'm a, I'm a cool teenager I can reach that I'm tall I wasn't that tall and so I get up there and I'm trying to reach and reach and reach and I can't get it and, and I go I'll just find a ladder I wasn't familiar with the church yet so next best thing than a ladder sneak over to the children's wing the little step stool they have by the sink I got that I promise I brought it back and so I, I bring it over, and, and because of that, I have to like really lean up against the cross because it's tall and it's kind of like not supported very well. So I'm like, I'm, I do not want to be responsible for this cross falling during like an Easter service. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get up real close to it. I'm not gonna put too much weight on it. But that was the first time I got up really close to a cross that was more it was historically accurate. All that I had seen before were the gold necklace, polished, clean, pretty looking crosses. And it wasn't until I got up and I smelt the wood, and I'm pretty sure I had like three splinters in my calf, that I was like, man, this is uncomfortable. And then my imagination started to go, 
And I started to have like tears in my eyes. You can probably see them already. I started to have tears in my eyes and I go, you would do this? Like I I knew what you went through was painful and excruciating. I was really starting to capture all that Jesus had traded so that we could experience life. I said, you did this? Man, I'm not even willing to share my chicken nuggets from McDonald's with the person next to me on the bus, right? I'm like, can you do this for me? And so like, I'm, the service hasn't even started yet and I'm like tearing up, tears welling in my eyes. And, and I, I had this singular thought that was running through my mind. And it was, if you were so powerful, why did you let them do that to you? And you, you ever get one of those like God sucker punches? They're like, he did that. And you're asking the wrong question. You're viewing it from the wrong standpoint. I've displayed my power. I've displayed my authority to so many generations. What I'm displaying to you through this is humility. Instead of saying, where is his power? Where is his authority? You should say, how much humility? how much grace, how much love it took to sacrifice to be on that cross. He's teaching us. He's teaching us how to calm the chaos of the world by being light. He is that light that is calming the chaos of the world and he invites us into that as it comes to its fullness and its completeness. And it is such a joy to be a part of, but it's difficult. You might get some splinters in your calf. You might have to steal a stool out of the children's wing. You might have to share your chicken nuggets. But let, it, let us keep that in mind this Christmas. Let's keep that in mind this Advent season. He does not force a relationship on you. He does not use his power and authority to do that. But instead his love says, I'm here and I've made a way and I've paid the ultimate price. If you should so choose to trust in me, to put your faith in me. So this year is, as I close, I want you to really reflect on what I'm trying to reflect on is that we're bringing our, our gifts to the foot of the Christmas tree. What gift? Keep, keep this in mind. I, I wasn't uh, planning on preaching this sermon today with the Christmas offering, but you're planning on bringing these gifts to the foot of the Christmas tree. What gift are you bringing Jesus to the foot of the tree on which he was hung? I'm so challenged by that. It forces me to go deeper into faith. It forces me to live more open-handedly, which I didn't think was possible being a broke college student. But it is, and, and he's blessed me every step of the way. I have story after story about how he's provided, how he's blessed, and it is so much better than anything I could have done on my own. My own plans to preach this sermon in another week. He does so much better things if you're willing to trust, if if you're willing to put your faith in him. 
So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for coming and, and for being that light onto the world who lights up the dark places in our lives, who lights up the darkness of the world that is formless, that is void, that is empty sometimes. It can feel lonely. It can feel so chaotic, especially this past year. Would you be our light? Would you continue to help us trust you? to become more comfortable with the light that reveals the dark places in our lives as we trust you, as we lean on you. Thank you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you extend your hands and receive the benediction? Let the light of the world that has come illuminates the dark places that may linger in your lives and then reflect that light to the rest of the world. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.